I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And today is the day it's finally arrived. It's been a long time coming, but it's here at last. The biggest podcast ever with Mick Foley. We've been talking about this for a year. We've been we've been promoting it for a year, and it's finally happening. We started 365, well, 367 days ago because it's wrestling. We couldn't get our shit together, and we're still two days late, but it doesn't matter. Like I said, it's been a long time coming, but he's here at last. Mick Foley has arrived. Talk is Jericho. All right, after uh, 365 days plus two in typical wrestling time, we didn't even get it right in 365 days. We have the biggest podcast ever with Mick Foley. Can you remember when we when we announced this? We did a little preview. I do. Yeah, we previewed it, and the world's what the world's been talking about for a year. It's it's been off the charts. It's, it's on the front page of USA Today that we're finally doing this. I remember that it was you were going to interview Shane. I think for one of those like kind of a they call them like podcasts, even though they're if not, it's not podcasts. Vince, the, the deal is no one has been able to break it to Mr. McMahon that it's only a podcast if it's on a podcast. Otherwise, it's an interview. <laughs> I told him that. I said, do you understand, Vince? A podcast is audio. He's like, no, a podcast is a shoot interview. I'm like, it's really not, though. But to him, it was the podcast. So, okay. So, therefore, every podcast in existence is a shoot interview. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So, I remember we announced it that whole year ago. And uh, here we are finally uh, in, in the Joe Lewis and, arena. And I'm not uh, at the top of my game. Uh, What's the matter? Uh, I was expressing to you, uh, 31 years in the business, why did I take a signing in Fargo, North Dakota? We're supposed to be in the city, right? And right. this is one of my biggest raws, maybe the biggest raw I've had as GM. And I took a signing. I don't. I just remember being asked about a signing and not saying no. 
I don't remember specifically <laughs> saying yes. And then I got the ticket. I was like, I, I don't know. I can't. Maybe I said yes. I don't know. Fargo is in the middle. Fargo is like that's where we used to travel from Winnipeg if you wanted to go to the states for the yeah, weekend. Yeah, yeah. But it's in the, that's it's about five hours from Winnipeg. It's in the middle of nowhere. And it's uh, four hours from Minneapolis. <laughs> let me let me put it here. It's a, I left my hotel in Syracuse, and then uh, you, you know two hours ahead of time. Give yourself two hours. About an hour and a half to Detroit. Missed my connection by five minutes because wow. the flight uh, from uh, Syracuse was delayed. So wait around two and a half hours. I catch that next flight, which is about a two-hour flight, and then it's uh, then it takes about an hour in Minneapolis to get my car, and uh, and then it's four hours. Why don't they just fly you to Fargo? They have an airport there. Yeah, I could have used that. Uh, <laughs> something you could have told info, me yesterday. Yeah, something I could have told you yesterday. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I just, I was, I the whole way up, uh, I was just, I just had one, one thought, and it was me asking myself, "What were you thinking? Like this is not a rookie mistake. <laughs> this is a rookie mistake yeah, being yeah. made by a thirty-one-year veteran going ribbing yourself." And I'm sure, that, I mean, I'm sure the payoff was nice, but it's not like it was some exorbitant amount where you couldn't say no. Should have said no. I think yeah. the the closest I've come to this, and probably a bigger mistake in retrospect, was choosing to do an independent show the night before I wrestled Stone Cold on the main event of a pay per view in Milwaukee, and it was a thousand. It was was it? But from Ohio to it was a ten-hour drive. It wasn't a thousand miles, but it was a ten-hour drive. Working with knobs the night before Stone Cold, <laughs> like a guy who will proudly admit he's one of the sloppiest guys in the business. I'm working with knobs before I. Why would you? So you were working? Was it a WWE <sighs> pay-per-view at that time? Yeah, it was WWE uh, um, pay-per-view, so, and so it was a heck of a match. Uh, it was the one we had. Uh, and now you say the one where Undertaker got involved. Pat Patterson was the guest. Uh, uh, Vince was the guest referee. He did an unbelievable. He did an unbelievable job. He was in the boys' medium referee <laughs> shirt. Saw so it afterwards. Boys' medium stretched out to breaking point. Uh, and he did the great thing where he was like, "That's right, these hands and these." And then he was showing off the guns and he was like, yeah, he was "Hitting yeah. the tricep, he was, these, these hands will count to one, two, three. And so for the finish. Steve hit us both with stunners, and then he took Vince's hand and he counted it. Yeah, three. it was it was a pretty epic match. But again, I was like, "What was I thinking?" So, what were you were allowed to take independent bookings? For some reason, the office decided we could do independent. I don't know why. I don't know why. It was probably a bad move, and they they stopped doing that. You know, but I guess they let guys make a little extra money on the mm. days off. You know what's funny though? You mentioned the, the Stone Cold and Vince, and I had forgotten I mean, with all the great feuds that you had and all the stuff. I forgot. Was this around the time when you became like corporate Mick oh, Foley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell tell us about that. I, I kind of remember. It was one. you know it was an it was a nice uh, it was a nice run. Let me see. Let me see. I had done the uh, the corporate thing. Well, Dude Love in '97 had come about because uh, Steve kept on. Uh, rejecting me in my attempts to be his tag team partner mm-hmm. and I would show up and I'd have a sign that said pick me Steve <laughs> and I would you know I would help him make comebacks against you know a number of adversaries and I'd get stunned you know Steve was not real big on the pat on the back you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I believe that it just led me to crack and uh, Vince had really become a fan I'm convinced Vince became a fan of mine I even said this on the special that I'd been told um, by Al Snow that you could never really be a 
big star in WWE until Mr. McMahon personally got on board, until he That's became a fan. Yeah. yeah. And that wasn't the case. Um, up until I did the uh, interview with JR, and they, it went so well, they, they divided into like six segments. And I remember the first, after the first week, I was driving with Steve Austin, and he, and he was kind of a loner, you know? Like, it, it wasn't like yeah. I rode with him that much. We were good friends, but Steve was kind of a, on his own a lot. And uh, unlike, you know, in WCW, where everybody rode together, you know, it was kind of a big community there. Uh, but when guys are, you know, I remember, like, when Cat was on top. <laughs> Wildcat Wendell Cooley reference. <laughs> Very obscure. <laughs> this should sell out. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, but, you know, when guys get on top, they have a tendency, I think, to go off on their own, you know, and mm-hmm. cut the promos in the car and always thinking about what they're well, doing. On your own schedule yeah. and on time, yeah. Uh, but Steve said, kid, what are they doing? They turned your baby face. I said, no, I think uh, it's just a way to allow people to understand, the, you know, the character a little bit better. And he goes, yeah, you'll be a baby face in three weeks. And sure enough. No turn. There was no turn. It was just the fans every week were cheering more. And I, then I started working with Hunter, the 97 Hunter. You know, this mm-hmm. is like both looking for the break and not working quite on top, but really having good, solid matches. And he was like the perfect guy to put over that era mankind. But it, it wasn't until Vince had heard that I'd been this dude love character. It was Shawn Michaels asking me. He goes, he, wasn't, he didn't want to insult me. He goes, let me ask you this. He goes, is this the way you always like imagined yourself? Looking at the mankind, you know, when I had the hair torn out of my head and yeah. the wild bumps, I said, no, uh, I wanted to be you. And Bruce Pritchard happened to be there overhearing the conversation. I told him about the evolution of Dude Love when I was younger, you know, 18 years old. So Dude Love was the character that you Dude played Love when you were a teenager. I played. And, like, it, not just, it wasn't a backyard wrestling thing, even though I did, you know, a couple of, you know, uh, home videos where I was Dude Love. And it was more yeah. like in the editing. We didn't have actual match, well, one actual match. But we would edit them and put, you know, and put in like little clips of wrestling magazines with my face. You couldn't. <laughs> it was no, you know, it was uh, a Photoshop. Thing, it wasn't yeah. no Photoshop. It was just me going through enough photos, finding the right magazine because I had hundreds of magazines. I'd find a, uh, a frame that kind of looked the thing, and uh, you know, there was one that looked really good. My face over Don Morocco's uh, <laughs> body, yeah. Yeah, body. And uh, when when Vince found out that I'd wanted to be this guy. And that I had video, it just kind of got his mind working, and he became really, in- I don't want to say enamored, because I don't want to use a, any a word to describe Mr. McMahon that isn't super cool in mind. I don't want to say he became enamored with, <laughs> yeah. but he became really interested, and, and he wanted to make that, uh, and that's when he had the, he had kind of admitted that the real life story I had was more interesting than Mankind, which at the time was a fictional character with a fictional background. They didn't pay any attention to things I'd done as if what I had done had never existed. That was the way that's the business, it was back yeah, then, yeah, that's the way it was. And I think he deserves a lot of credit. I'm not just saying that because he currently employs me for about <laughs> another week, uh, <laughs> the way things are going. But he really did, you know. I, I think uh, he's shown that uh, he'll admit when he's wrong about something. And in this case, he realized that, uh, you know, the story I had to offer was uh, was an interesting one. And uh, I told the story in the Cheap Pops uh, special where I didn't know this till Bruce Pritchard told me. I knew that Mr. McMahon had not been a fan of mine. But he said it was finally Jim Ross was kind of just like steady, you know, just steady, not relentless, but steady. You know, what about what about Mick Foley? What about Cactus Jack? And Bruce said it was the fall of 1995 and Vince was slammed his hand down on the table and went, all right, 
I'll bring him in, but I'm covering up his face. Mm. And that was Mankind. So, so no, you keep mentioning this. Why did Vince not like you? You know, Vince is a—he's a gut player. You know, I mean, he—he he gets a gut feeling, and uh, didn't think I looked like a star. And uh, Bruce told me he was in retrospect, you know, years later. He goes, "Remember when I saw you at LaGuardia when you were with, uh, you know, WCW?" He's like, "Yeah." He goes, "Did you know Vince was right there?" And I said, "No." He was nowhere to be seen. I, I said, where was he? He goes, well, when I said, hey, there's Cactus Jack, would you like to say hello? And he says, I don't think I ever want to meet him. Really? So in a way, maybe he was sold on the character, too. Huh. But, you know, uh, I like to think that I, uh, I uh, kind of st- struck a blow for the unlikely guy, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I'd been, I would be told, I would call up once a year, talk to J.J. Dillon, and I, I should not have blamed J.J. in my book. You know, you're mm-hmm. kind of writing. You know how powerful you feel when you get that pen going sure. or keyboard. It's like you're getting stuff out. You should edit that stuff out when you're reading it. Well, you're the one who told me a book is not the place to, to settle, a score. settle a score. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great advice I still uh, use to this day. You, I was when, uh, Do you remember when <laughs> we'll put each other over now? <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of putting myself. I guess it's, uh, you don't mind if I put myself over Well, you bit. have to. Well, you said, uh, hey, Vic, would you, would you mind giving me a blurb? You don't have to read the book, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I had this thing where I was like, wow, I have to read the book. I can't put my name on something. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, I haven't read it. And then uh, I called you up, and I was like, you've got a really good book here, but can mm-hmm. I give you some advice? You're like, sure. Dude, you went through, <laughs> we went through, through phone. page by page. Eight, eight hours, right? We yeah. Eight page and by you page. said there was too much swearing in it, which you were right. Don't settle vendettas or settle scores yeah. or start vendettas. And great, great advice that I use. I just finished my fourth book. I still use those those words that you gave me. I'm so lucky. I have a Christmas memoir coming out, so I stay one step ahead of you. <laughs> we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. But we'll talk about I want to go back to the J.J. Dillon. So you, yeah. you, you said you didn't want You shouldn't have blamed him. No, I shouldn't have blamed him. He was just the messenger. Um, and what, I, was, what was he telling you? He would say, well, we're not looking for talent. And then I would watch Monday Night Raw, and I'd be like, I'd see Mantar, mm. Duke the Dumpster Drozzy. And I'm like, I think, I think they're lying to me. Yeah. And it was hard to accept that they just weren't interested. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, when I was doing my thing in ECW, like the anti-hardcore gimmick, there was not a thought. I was doing a thing. I don't know if you remember the promos I was doing with Tommy Dreamer, but the idea was I was essentially like Jacob Marley <laughs> to, <laughs> to Tommy's <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge trying to save him from the mistakes I'd made uh, yeah. because I had left WCW under less than ideal circumstances and didn't think I could ever go back there. Tommy had been asked, turned it down because he was the ECW mm. you know faithful guy and that's right. that's bad business you know that's the guys who stayed and I loved ECW but could you imagine what they, they chanted to you please don't go oh, right? yeah. oh yeah they did yeah. it to everybody could you imagine if guys said well I guess I can't go you know and like some of them did like you said Tommy, <laughs> Tommy and, yeah yeah you know I think Taz for the longest time wouldn't do it and Sabu wouldn't do it you know it's just... maybe miss the boat you yeah know? right um, right Got their shot. Oh, and you know, Tommy's man, very highly respected, and Sabu's had great years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, but I think had you and I not gone when we did, you know, we're not sitting around doing this podcast, <laughs> or we're doing it like in someone's basement, not it, at the, look at the Joe Louis Arena at the signing in Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, so I was doing the angle, like you know how things are. The things usually go well. They aren't their best when there's some realism, you know, fueling the emotions. And I firmly believed I would never have a shot 
at uh, again at WCW, or if I did, it would be in as a like kind of a you know revved up enhancement guy. Uh, and I just no, I just I didn't think the cards. It was in the cards for me to be in WWE. I've been rejected there so many times. So I was going with the uh, don't make the mistakes I've made and doing it in like pretty convincing you know psychological fashion. And then uh, then I got the call during that run. Hmm. About from WWE, and went over there and met with Mr. McMahon, and and he had uh, and I didn't go to the house. You know that <laughs> yeah, I went to the house. Yeah, if you go to the house, you're <laughs> they've got big plans for you. <laughs> Office, you're like you might be okay, <laughs> right? Uh, and then if you meet with an assistant, you know, where, where did you meet him? I met at the office. Okay, so like I think it was indicative of the uh, the push I was supposed to get mm-hmm. you know i mean there were other guys you know coming in i, I you know and i'm not picking on mark merrill because i made i've made my peace with mark it wasn't his fault that he got a great contract but right. you know the you know vince would you know put give more attention to the guys he thought were going to be the backbone of the company uh and and so you had uh you know guys like me and stone cold who were not you were not earmarked to be earmarked. the stars that you and became. And this is the story I've, I've told in the, the 99 book where uh, I was at what they call the, the tent towns of uh, Cohasset, Massachusetts. Yeah, we used to do those. <laughs> yeah, That's right, I the tent them. tours, yeah. Loved them. And one of the highlights was And with it, those words, just so people don't know, you would have shows basically underneath tents yeah, yeah. in small, like, yeah. Rhode Island cities yeah. for, like, you know, wine festivals or whatever. There'd be a tent show. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so they would only be up there in the in the summer, you know, yeah. two, three months out of the year. And uh, they were fun. They had a great atmosphere. The ceiling would be really low. And you could get away with doing things at those shows. You could never get away with, like, at the garden. Like, yeah. For example, you know, I, I was having a, a match with Triple H in that 90, you know, 97 feud, and I had the salad tongs out. You know, I could make good use, liberal use of the salad tongs. And I don't want to I don't wanna give away too much here and, and insinuate <laughs> that wrestlers communicate with each other. But, yeah, but on this times, one occasion, yeah. I heard Triple H go, Beal me. <laughs> yeah, Beal to, beal to us. And he's like feeding me his nose. <laughs> He's going up the top rope. They reach up with the salad tongs and grab him by the nose. It's one of the things. It's almost like the uh, the catapult where you know it can't work, yeah. but you suspend disbelief. And it's like, my goodness, I had the big extended throw, you know. It's like, whoa, way over there. He took the, a hell of a bump. Uh, but that was 97. 96, as heel mankind, you know, characters, he was starting to get over, you know. I had a couple of good pay-per-views with Undertaker and... Jimmy Miranda, who was the head of uh, uh, merchandise mm-hmm. at the time, he sat me down and he said, uh, you know, the company would like to have some Mankind merchandise. And they had about 30 different products. And my name was marked off on like two. It was <laughs> a T-shirt and a mask. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't think I should have a mask because the mask is supposed to be scary. It's not something a kid should be able to buy. That's like really idealistic thinking, you know. Right. You, and then as you get older, you just go, all right, give me the money, you know. Put this mask uh, on, kid. And guys like uh, Barry Windham probably had 20 items hmm. marked off. Big uh, big plans for Barry as the stalker. Hmm. Um, Mark Henry, every box was checked. And wow. uh, Steve walks over and says, hey, Miranda, how about some merchandise for Stone Cold? And Jimmy kind of got a little, you know, uncomfortable. He goes, what's wrong, Miranda? He goes, Steve – 
the office just doesn't see a lot of marketing potential in you. Unbelievable, Unbelievable, right? right? And and then that's just further proof that Vince, uh, you know, he sees things happening. He uh, adapts along the way. I remember actually we're here in Joe Louis Arena. I always want to say Joe Louis Arena for some reason, but Joe Louis <laughs> Arena. Uh, yeah. the, the voice app. You <laughs> yeah. have reached Joe, Joe Louis, Louis Arena. <laughs> but uh, this is the first pay-per-view that John Cena ever had here against me. And I remember I called Vince the night before and I said, you got to change the finish. He has to win. You know, he's this upcoming guy, good-looking guy. And Vince's like, what do you see in him? I'm saying, I'm telling you, he, he's, the kid's got something. You know, you have to put him over in this. It doesn't matter if, he, if, if, yeah. if I beat him, everyone expects it. If he beats me, it could help him. Right. I was arguing with Vince McMahon to put John Cena over on me in Joe Louis Arena. So that just shows – I think it takes some time for him to – I mean, it happened to me. Was this before happened. he started rapping? Yeah. It's when he was just nondescript, yeah. basically uh, tights and boots John Cena. And the story I hear is that Stephanie heard him freestyle rapping on the on bus. On the bus, yeah. And yeah, on thought, tour in Europe or something, yeah. We can we can do something with this. Yeah. And then I'd watch John and I was like, it was really entertaining. And I remember saying to people – but he's he's not going to really draw money until he until he so he needed that mm-hmm. to get his foot in the door sure. and established him and it was like but then he needs to be able to make points that are not punchlines mm-hmm. and and sure enough man you know, now I watch the show I mean I, I grudgingly admit that uh, SmackDown has some great episodes mm-hmm. and he's got this great thing going where uh, uh, you know guys like Miz will. Um, Miz and AJ, well, they'll, they'll cut great promos, and then John gets to go second, <laughs> and he just nails he bats cleanup. It. Yeah, he bats cleanup, and uh, you know, to me, he's one of the best promo guys out there. A lot of fans don't want to admit that, and uh, I kind of got a. That was the first time I got a real feel for like how strong the Cena resentment was, like real resentment, because. I was in Florida. I was working for TNA. I was watching Monday Night Raw. He just nailed a promo. Um, and so I wrote, I, you know, maybe I had 10,000 followers at that time on Twitter. And I said, uh, great promo by John Cena. I think more people need to recognize his legacy of, you know, I jumping around promo to matches. And then at that time, I could see how many messages came in. I don't know why I can't anymore. And I said to my daughter, I said, I just got 600 messages, like within minutes, like like one or two minutes. She goes, that's impossible. I said, let me try it again. And I said, uh, I saw that they were, you know, some, a lot of negative ones. I said, oh, yeah, well, try to find a bad John Cena pay-per-view. And then they all responded with the same pay-per-view. And I said, well, that's the exception that proves the rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was, well, he just had good opponents to carry him. I said, so he's had good opponents every month for eight years? That was like our – my high school lacrosse team was a powerhouse. This guy, Joe Cuso, was the coach, and he's the winningest uh, high school coach of all time. And I'd hear, like, um, as my friends grew up and had kids in the system, they're like, he doesn't know how to coach. He just has great players. I said – so he said, great players every year right. for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I thought John, um, he's doing well enough without me pushing him, right? Well, yeah, John of course. Yeah, of so course. Was, but but, but this brings up something that we were just talking about earlier about how you just deleted your Twitter yeah. app off your phone. Because oh, this of, is breaking news. Because this of the breaking news just yeah. happening maybe today. <laughs> but you were talking about how there's a lot of negativity on Twitter, yeah. which there is. Yeah. That you've, you had enough of it or was it? Yeah, uh, you know, it's still really valuable. Like, you get your pulse on something. But uh, until I stop being the GM, I swear, it's just a, it's just a exercise in, like, masochism. People yelling at you for stuff that's happening on the show. Yeah. 
that, of yeah. course, you're not really in charge of, not to well, insinuate. Not <laughs> <laughs> you know, we give voice to ideas that are reached by a consensus. Yes. And then you go out there. And it's a crazy thing to say, oh, I'm not really the GM. It's not altogether true because, I mean, you you know what? It's a good experience from, from, me, from my son to watch – me and you and uh, and Kevin and I think it was just three of us. We had a segment, and uh, it turned out to be a, a very very good segment. It was coming off the Hell in a Cell, and you'd had the key of Jericho, mm-hmm. and uh, you had to buzz me because I completely forgot to start with the key. And you're like, I see you're twirling it. You're like, yeah, you're just the key, Mick. The key, see the key, see it. So what I do is funny. Well, the first time I went out there with Stephanie, right? I said to her, but two minutes before, and I said, Stephanie, I said. Uh, look, um, I'm probably going to forget things out there, and I'm not going to panic because I know it's going to happen, but just be aware that it will happen, and you may need to give me a couple of buzzwords. But what I didn't tell her was, it's probably going to happen within the first 15 seconds of me being out there. <laughs> and, and somebody says to me, like, the next day, he goes, did Stephanie say five alarm fire to you? And yes, she did. Because I said, I, five alarm fire. Responded to it like it was a five alarm fire. <laughs> and so I need a little help. And then once I have that little bit of help, you know, it can push me through. Mm-hmm. But he saw that, you know, we were able to negotiate and, and, you know, talk to the writers, understand they have a difficult job, but they can't give it the words, the same voice that we can. And you don't want to crush them, you know. I mean, no one wants to have their work wadded up in a ball and thrown on the ground, you know, yeah. like some guys do. And uh, he he really liked that. I like to think we're two, you know, better, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, guys make it work. Make it work, and it was it was fun because it was a really productive environment. I think that's when the best best things get done. And so you're like me when you really believe in something, you know, you more so than me because you're out there every week and you've got the matches and the angles. I got to have to pick my spots. Mm -hmm. Like Stephanie and I had a major victory, major in early September, when. They basically wanted me to call her out on being a liar, and the lines would have been drawn six weeks into the you know relationship, and there'd be nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And um, and Stephanie had talked to Vince. Vince wasn't buying anything. I I went and talked to Vince for about twenty minutes. I got like one tenth of what I wanted, and then uh, I walked out. And Stephanie said, "Let's let's shoot it." I said, "What do you mean?" She goes, "Let's shoot it. We'll show it to my father later." And we did it. It was a really intense, it was a very emotional thing that Vince was not in favor of at all. And we didn't, we, you know, we didn't write anything down. We just went for it. And then Vince sees us shooting it. And he comes over. And we have got, basically gone behind his back. Mm-hmm. And she says, Dad, uh, you know, we shot something. I'd like you to look at it. And I start walking away. He goes, where the hell are you going? <laughs> went, I'll be right here next to you. It's about a three-minute and 30-second promo. He doesn't say a word. And even about 30 seconds, or at least it seemed like 30, it seemed like longer, yeah. you know. He doesn't say anything, and he finally goes, we'll do it your way. Mm. And he walks slowly away, and Road Dog comes over to me, and Stephanie goes, y'all know you can't ask for anything for like two months. <laughs> and so that's the way it is. There, you you got to pick your battles. You're right. And, and, uh, and be willing to go full tilt. So mm-hmm. there are times, I like to think that on the – occasions where I really feel strongly about something, the people at home will go, I think he meant that. And you can't go there every time you're doing that because then you become the boy who cried wolf, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But there have been four or five occasions I'm really, you know, 
proud of where I, you know, stood up, explained why I wanted to do it, why I thought I should do it myself, uh, apologized to the writers and said, this is something I need to do. And so you do have a voice, but but by and large, you're giving you're giving voice to something that's you haven't arrived at by yourself. And it's like the irony of the people who think they're smart to the business, like blaming me. And mm-hmm. it just, you know, I was maybe spoiled because if I if I'd got on social media when I was a heel, then I would have been used to it, you know. But I was used to being pretty well liked, you know, and like. The guy with the, you know, oh, still trying to be relevant. That was kind of the exception. And then it got to where it was like, well, now it's like, you know, it's pretty constant. It's just right. like walking through, like walking. And it feels like somebody like swatting you in the ankles <laughs> with sticks, you know. Like, yeah. and you're not crippling. You're like, oh, oh that hurts. It hurts. Stop, stop. And, 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 that, and that's what people have to understand that everything we do it goes through the pipeline of being approved by Vince. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's where it starts, and that's where it stops. So yeah. no matter what it is, you know, people mad at me for distracting Kevin Owens for a three-second match. Believe me, <laughs> it's not uh, it's not my decision. Well, you know, one of the things that, that you know, when I say I took it off my phone, which that means I, now I just have to make more of an effort to log yeah. on. Yeah, you're not just going to go out stopping at a traffic light and look yeah, through. Yeah, right? let me say, oh, okay, that, that stung a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things was the guys um, who've been over to Japan quite a bit. Uh, for New Japan, uh, Gallows and Anderson told me that one of their friends had been in the, had done the uh, move uh, and been paralyzed from the neck down. And uh, so, man, you know that hits that hits close to home. There were a couple times where I just I had to lay there on the ground and really, to, yeah, just like okay, I can move my fingers. I could because you know there were some you know stingers things. or. No, things where I just uh, one time when uh, I tried to give Shoji Nakamaki or Nakamaki Shoji, as they say in Japan, a clothesline over the top in a barbed wire match. Oof. And we had done it one other time and it would look, you know, it looked sick, a lot of danger there. You know, I'd had my arm wrapped in case I caught it so it didn't just tear from, you know, meat from the bone. And, and in this case, we hit it for the clothesline and the wire snapped. It's not meant to hold that kind of weight. Mm. And I just I remember seeing the picture in the Japanese magazine, my feet straight up in the air, you know, just landing right on straight my head. Straight on your head, yeah. And so you're vaguely aware that the audience is responding, whoa, you know, that, that kind of, you know, nice wave of sound. And I'm laying there, I'm like, I'm going to see, you know, there's been probably three times that was one of them. You know, you're like, okay, fingers, 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 toes, toes, toes. And the logical thing, and this is like what I say, you know, I don't want to use either word irony too often. I don't want to, you know, but it's ironic that we're like the fake sport, yet mm-hmm. we're the one where guys go, okay, can I move? Can I move? Right. Okay, let's go. Not let's get somebody out there. Yeah. And we need to get that. off the field. It's important yeah. now that we have that. You know, we have people looking out for us, you know. Because it's kind of if you love it and you break in like we did, you know, going to the territories and being proud of the fact that, you know, you know, you, you would, you know, you, <laughs> there was a guy in Florida and back when I lived in the Florida Panhandle. He was taking a long time in our pool and he was like, hey, there's nothing I could do. People quit. I mean, you, you know, your car breaks down. You don't make it to the show. And I'm like, no, that's where you're wrong. My car breaks down. I take the license plate off and I leave it on the side of the road and I put my thumb out and I make it to the show. <laughs> and it sounds like you sound like you're psychotic, but like if That's you were true. if you were wired any other way, you wouldn't make it because well, yeah. there were other, there'd be other guys who would. And if you were the guy who's going to say, "I need a break. I need time out. I'm not sure if I can move my limbs," someone else is going to come in. Yeah, is going to take that spot.
All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Hey, amigas, see, already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. This this is Talk is Jericho. You know, you're such a, a you know the lovable Mick Foley, the general manager, love Santa Claus, have a nice day. It, does it almost seem like a different person that was the guy that would do exploding barbed wire matches or, you know, the famous bump off the hell in the cell? Do you look back at that sometimes and go like, who was this guy? In some ways, yeah, in some ways I do. And I think I... I convinced myself that I was just playing an extension of myself, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, with the dial turned up. And I, I maybe because I did it for so long, it did become part of who I was. But it, it was a long way from what I was naturally. Mm-hmm. And one of the most difficult things I had to do was overcome my natural lack of aggression. Mm-hmm. You know, and I some, when I wonder how I made it, I sometimes feel like, how did I survive in the dressing room? Like I didn't have a, I didn't hunt, I didn't fish, I didn't have a big dog, I drove Don't a drink. minivan, yeah, I didn't drink, Don't yeah, I rarely drugs, drank, yeah, I didn't you know? curse, yeah, and uh, and there were some people. Well, you don't curse, I nah, rarely, rarely, yeah, yeah. yeah. I dropped that. I would do my one man show and I would drop the one f bomb at the end. <laughs> I would realize when I go out there and I would curse in my shows, I'm like, it's a crutch, you yeah, know, it's yeah. a it's a crutch, and then I would just try to specify that there'd be one and I was like I'd treat it like DDP in the diamond cutter like <laughs> or Randy Orton in the RKO yeah. like out of nowhere <laughs> and then if I if I hit it right it was this great feeling of satisfaction you know I had like six or seven different ways I could go into it mm-hmm. and then if I forgot I would thank everybody and I just walk out and go oh Boom, hit the F-bomb, and people would give me a standing ovation. And <laughs> See, because you built it up. I built it up. It was like the biggest F-bomb yeah, ever. Yeah. 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 Um, but I do wonder that, because it, even though I had the assortment of cool bumps, you know, going back to, like, the late 80s, like, I wasn't I wasn't a, an aggressive heel, you mm-hmm. know, and they realized you have, to, you have to be able to get heat for those bumps to mean something, because if you can't get people to dislike you, to get emotionally invested, then you're just a body doing things, you know? Mm. And it was, I remember Terry Funk, you know, you know, in sitting me down in 1990, February, you could look up Ric Flair's birthday, because it was 42nd birthday, 
How I scored an invite to Rick's birthday party, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, and guys at that time were you know, kind of putting me over because the bumps I were doing they were you know really unusual at that time. So a lot of it's kind of standard stuff now, but at that time it was really unusual. And Terry Funk took exception, you know, be really easy to say, I mean, hi, oh, you're doing a great job. And he gave me this, you know, parable, you know, about the devil and the angel. And basically, you know, the, you know, the, the angel saying, without him, there is no me. And he was like, Norman, it was Norman the lunatic, Mike Shaw. Mm-hmm. Norman was an angel out there, but you were not the devil. And he told mm-hmm. me if I couldn't find a way to you know to to tap into something there you know that that all the bumps essentially were going to be meaningless, meaningless yeah and uh there was a real deciding point for me i mean i look at it even though i had already gotten a you know a, gra- a fairly aggressive um but it was the king of the death match tournament in uh august of 95 Famous. and uh yeah yeah it's gone down in lore mm-hmm. and uh I had Nakamaki Shoji under a bed of nails um, outside. He was outside the ring. And I had it positioned in a way that, you know, my body weight was not going to come down on most of the nails. Mm -hmm. But I remember, like, specifically thinking, like, okay, I have to choose whether to take perfect care of him or to make this look good. And I made the conscious decision to make it look good. And I dropped that elbow. It wasn't. It wasn't ridiculous, you know. Like some guys, it wasn't. Uh, uh, I would like to say it wasn't a liberty, but he was underneath a bed of yeah, nails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I remember him screaming, and the nails, you know, two or three of them are dug in, and it was almost like this. I was in the zone, and it was like cool, you know. <laughs> and I like. Oh, I, and I used that feeling when I did a promo with Randy Orton, which I think was one of the b- best. I remember ones. it, yeah, in the uh, rocking chair. And I was essentially talking about how I did these things, convinced myself that I did them to pay a mortgage. But then you look at the video, and like I remember Rick, you know Rick Patterson, right? Mm-hmm. He was a Winnipeg guy. Oh, well, Rick Patterson. Le- yeah, he, he was Leatherface, Leatherface, Leatherface there, yeah. and, and Rick would. Uh, hold the guy in a backbreaker, I'd come off with the elbow and the arm would be wrapped in barbed wire, you know, and I'm taking care of the guy, but there's only so much you can do. There's barbed wire yeah, coming barbed down. Barbed wire, yeah. it's real barbed wire coming down from a distance. And I would hit that thing and look at that camera and bang, bang. And I'd look and i go, that's not a guy paying his mortgage. Like, yeah. That's a guy who's into what he's you're doing. You're into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a little bit psychotic. Yeah, yeah. but if you don't, if you're not all in, you But should. see, I, I can understand that. In 2008, when I was doing that thing of the suit and tie Heel Jericho with Shawn Michaels and the whole thing. I remember coming back through the curtain. I would have to go to a corner or a room by myself and come out of this character. I was dropped in so deep. Like when I went out there, I was the biggest son of a bitch, asshole, ruthless. You know what I mean? I felt it to where I was it. And I had to calm down. I didn't just walk in and go, hey, dude. Like I had to calm down. Like stop it. Like you – it's acting. We're playing this character. And we, they would we say you're dropping in. Say, no, we're not acting. Yeah. Because you look down on it and then you realize the lengths that great actors go to play their roles. Right. And it's like even if it's method acting, you're still – and it took me a while to accept, all right, maybe I was acting because I'm not that guy, mm-hmm. you know, who did all that character. wild stuff. And um, a real good – he doesn't write anymore. His Tim name's Tim Kale. He used to be right – Super. The only knock on his stuff is it was so in depth that you had to really follow it because he was very analytical. And he taught, and he wrote about how, the, you know, the Santa was much closer to who I am than 
<laughs> and mm-hmm. these mankind where I would have to go, like you would find a place to decompress. Mm-hmm. I would have to go into a place, you know, and do the rocking and sit in the boiler room. This is, you know, before, you know, before it got to be, you know, habit. And mm-hmm. it was like, I'm not this guy. I'm not a guy who, who you know, who lived in a basement, who broke all his own fingers. Like, I, I don't have anything in common with this guy, but I've got to find something. And it would require me going off and kind of trying to become that. How, how, how did uh, Vince pitch that character to you? The thing is, he pitched... I mean, I, I did specific, I did sign away uh, when I left the company early. Uh, they let me out of my contract in 2001, a year early. And uh, they wanted me to sign away the you know the rights to the characters. I was like, no, I, I was dude love when I was 18. I was Cactus Jack for 12 years. It hurt me to write that Mankind was theirs. Mm. Because essentially... I don't want. I want to get heat with it, but they came up with an idea for a mask, and then uh, again, to Vince's credit, he uh, he, and I didn't know him that well. I was just pitching ideas, and luckily, uh, I had been informed what my name was going to be by the the woman in creative who was going with me to, you know, like the sixth floor of a walk up <laughs> in Brooklyn to Stanley Sherman's. <laughs> he was the mask guy, and if Stanley's listening, I'll apologize for saying he was a short guy because he was actually six six. In my mind, he was he was an odd guy, but he you know he he was a heck of a mask maker. And uh, I remember one time I, I I'm as a I know I'm skipping around That's a little right. bit. As a general rule, I'm not competitive as far as oh that guy's doing a crazy gimmick you know, that's my thing you know mm-hmm. I, we were all competitive about wanting a spot on the card but I was pretty good with what I had you know I I would mark out for guys who could do stuff I couldn't do you know and uh, and then but Ron, I remember Ron Simmons coming in and it's a Ron is a deep voice and God I said yeah he was Stanley Sherman make your mask I said yeah he was made mine too mm-hmm. and I'm, immediately I was like wait a second Stanley Sherman's making masks for another guy in the company and he goes you want to see it <laughs> and then he unveils the light blue helmet <laughs> for Farouk <laughs> with the light blue the Egyptian <laughs> warrior whatever 300 <laughs> and then I breathed a little sigh of relief um, but the woman had told me uh, what my name was going to be so I was prepared and I had a plan B I met with Vince now about the third time, still in the office. Not I <laughs> not, to this day I've not been to his house. <laughs> Vince. Uh and he goes, You wanna hear your name? And I already know what it is. And he goes, In this business, we've had crushers, we've had executioners, we've had destroyers, but we've never had a mutilator. <laughs> mutilator. <laughs> and that's what you are. And then he gave me the name Mason. Mason the Mutilator. No way. And I thought, oh, this is dead. This is the equivalent of Stone Cold, you know, when he was, you know. The ringmaster. The ringmaster, when they, he, he, was, he said something about, you know, being ice cold, and they gave him Frosty McFreeze and Chili McFang, you know, like any one of those names. It wouldn't have mattered. Every other <laughs> yeah. thing being the same, you know, the yeah. f- middle finger, the music, the <laughs> swagger, the stunner. Once, once Howard Finkel goes, Ice Dagger, he's dead in the water, right? <laughs> and it would have been hard to overcome right. Mason the Mutilator. And so I said, well, that's good. I like that. But what if? <laughs> what if I was Mankind the Mutilator? I pitched as Mankind the Mutilator. I'm not sure I understand. I said, be kind of like a double meaning, you know? I could talk about the destruction of Mankind, the future of Mankind. He just kind of nodded and took some notes. And then I pitched the idea of having a separate and exit music. 
and he'd be really interested and I'd say this way the only time my heart is mine is truly these after I've caused human suffering and I get my um, package at WrestleMania because I was going to debut the day after Mania um, I didn't do any of the any of the activities because I'm going to come debut as a new character the day after Mania it came out and jumped, uh, you know, jumped the Undertaker. It was all kind of off to the races. Even if Mr. Man wasn't, Mr. McMahon wasn't fully invested, mm-hmm. you know, and it started you yeah, off at the yeah, top, yeah. And, and you know, you get that one shot. Mm-hmm. If it failed, man, then you know, yeah, I owe, I owe a lot to the. I honestly, you know, a lot to the Undertaker and his faith in me because it didn't matter if Mr. McMahon. It did matter that Vince wasn't on board, but he was like, yeah, yeah. we're gonna do, we're gonna do business. Um, and I was remarking to uh, the guys when I was in uh, Milwaukee two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Two weeks, I, said, yeah. I, I gathered a few of the guys when I was like, "Hey, can I tell you a story about this building?" And they kind of—it's kind of that good feeling where the guys gather around. They and some hear of like what you the, say, yeah. some of the top stars too. It's not just like the younger guys, but it's kind of—they're all like in a semicircle. I said, "I walked in this building. It's my first pay-per-view with the Undertaker," and uh, he starts talking about the match, and it dawns on me that. I'm going over. Hmm. And I said, you have to believe me, it never even entered my mind. It wasn't, I wonder if it was, he's the Undertaker. Of course you're losing. Of course I'm losing. And I just, I went, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm going over. And he just, you know, kind of nodded his head. He didn't go into explanation, but I, what what I thought was going to be a two month program ended up lasting, you know, a couple of years, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, a solid eight you months. You could always go then, back to it, yeah. And we went back to it, we established that. Um, oh, but Mankind, the Mutilator. Yeah, I came, I had my package, it said Mutilator. Not Mason, but Mutilator. And when I went out, uh, I actually worked Bob Holly prior to running in on The Undertaker and Justin Hawk Bradshaw. And uh, I came out to the music. They said, Mankind. No mutilator, mm. and uh, after I uh, beat Bob with the mandible claw, which had been my idea, um, in comes this piano music, and I was like, "Man, this is you know." They did it. Was, it. And, yeah, and I remember Jerry Briscoe coming up to me. You know, he said, "I was you know going to jump the Undertaker," and I he, he wanted to know what I wanted to do, and I'd always wanted to come off the TV truck with an elbow. Because I thought it's the perfect camera shot, you know. Like I love the idea of coming right into someone's living room, mm-hmm. and I don't think we ever really nailed it. Because even if you're doing it on the floor and you have a low camera shot, you're not quite coming into the living right. room. Yeah. It wasn't until I did Backlash with Randy Orton in 2004 where he was like on a platform and I threw him off. He, he did that slow, agonizing walk because he legitimately had about a hundred. Thumbtacks. Yeah. You had 60, yeah. 69. 69, And right? that's a true number, by the way. That was not uh, supposed to be that way, but I counted. And I said, I'm not going to make it 70. It's 69. I'm, I'm going, I'm going uh, real with this. You remember me grabbing you? Yes, there's a great <laughs> picture of you and I where you giving me the Nick Foley have a nice day sign, and I'm like crying with all these stupid tacks all in my body. I was like, you got to get photos. You got to get photos. <laughs> yeah. grab, I would grab the camera. You can't let that go. Oh, I know. We, we, we filmed every single tack getting oh, taken out great. as well. Yeah. Um, but in this case, uh, I wanted to come off the TV truck, and Jerry Briscoe goes, we know you do a lot of I, – I can't do a Briscoe. <laughs> I wish I could. Mick? <laughs> We know you do a lot of crazy stuff. We may ask you to do that at some point, but please don't do it until we ask you. Mm. And then as it played out, just to make this clear, people wonder, you know, did you ever have to turn down ideas that WWE had? I said, no, they turned down ideas that 
I had, <laughs> where they went, no, we, I can't be a party to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't have that on my conscience. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. How in the hell did you convince Vince to do the bump off the cell? Because let me just say one yeah. quick thing. We had a Hell in the Cell match, me and Triple H, and I was going to do – I had an idea of doing a cross body from the top to the floor. And when you're on the floor looking up – I'm so glad – I know. It's not I'm so bad. I'm so glad you said that when I read your book, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm jumping in yeah, please. about the people looking like ants. Yeah. And then you said, I'm not exaggerating. They looked like ants. They did. And I thought to myself, Mick Foley – is the bravest, craziest lunatic ever for even just thinking about this, standing on top, looking down. Yeah. I was like, I couldn't, I could not do it. I don't know how you did that. Well, I told a couple of biggest lies of my life that day. Mm-hmm. The, you know, there's a lot of people have speculated that I knew that the cage was going to break in the, the second time. And the truth is, I wouldn't, it's, that's way too dangerous just to, going through the, Cage on a choke slam like that—it's it, that's insane. There's that it no, broke. yeah, yeah. Well, it was supposed to tear. It, what I—the big bump was the only thing I can. I had this image of being like stuffed down a rabbit hole mm. that it would give a little bit, and then Taker was going to push me down that hole. And the big visual to me was I'm going to be hanging upside down, you know, like well, my arms are flailing and this, and then the bump itself was like, all right, then I just have to be able to rotate. Land on my hands and knees, you know, maybe you know, a little risk to your, you know, your your wrist, your knee, but nothing real major. And I got approval for that. And then uh, I said, "Hey, what if I uh, came off the top?" And went, absolutely not. And I I went into cell mode and I said, "Well, if I, if I was going to drop an elbow off there and somebody's going to move, you'd probably you would let." I didn't say probably, you would let me do that, right? You know, it's leading questions, and he's like, oh, yeah, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. And, well, it's the same thing. I'm going to be in total control. And then he said, and then Taker looked at me and said, you've been up there, right? And I said, absolutely. And both he and Vince said, you feel comfortable? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And the truth is, if I'd ever walked up, I got up on top of that cell, Oh my gosh! Yeah. I, no, no way. Anybody when, that's listening to this, trust me. When you get up there looking down, it feels like you're 100 feet. It's so ridiculous. And even yeah. though I don't curse much. Out loud, I curse in my thoughts. <laughs> and what I was thinking when I got up there was, you've got to be effing kidding me. If I could have thought of a way to climb back down without destroying my career, I would have done it. Wow. And I also didn't realize being a bottom-heavy guy who maxed out at like four pull-ups in sixth grade and then got <laughs> considerably heavy, I had a tremendous time trying to get up that cell. Uh, my two, two of my fingers lost feeling for about two weeks, like just clinging on that thing. Mm. And if you look at it, my feet are just boom, boom, boom. I couldn't, I couldn't get couldn't any foot get holes. ground, yeah. And which is why every subsequent cell match has had foot holes <laughs> cut out. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, it was bad enough to try to get up there that first time. And then going up the second time after I'd gone through, you know, I'd gone through the table. Um don't know how how I did it, but you know, uh, credit has to go to Terry Funk because a lot of credit. My wife looked at me like when I came home, you know, from some of these Japanese tours. Was, uh, 
Terry had been my mentor, and she'd see the shape I would come back home in, and she just said, "Mick, couldn't you have found a different mentor?" <laughs> then, like, <laughs> then the crazy Dick Murdoch be your mentor, <laughs> and and so Terry went with me, and we went to you know. I don't know if people know this. You rarely end up in Stanford, Connecticut. You like mm-hmm. very rarely are you actually in Stanford. You know, me maybe a little more than other people that live on Long Island, just about an hour and a half away. Very rare, though. Very rare that you go through. And on that one day, Terry and I were passing through. We worked out at the gym there. We watched the cell match with Taker and uh, Shawn Michaels, and I I was really worried because the character I'd gone through the you know the, the, the mankind to. Uh, fun-loving dude love cactus jack came into the mix i did all three at once and then i became corporate dude love Mm. and then went back to being mankind or which cactus jack and i used the as incentive i used the fact that after terry and i had uh been jumped by the newly reformed dx the night that uh x-pac joined in and we took a heck of a beating, you know. And then it's not, it's, you know, Sean Waltman's a good friend of mine, but there's something about that Bronco Buster. It's a little degrading, you know. <laughs> so you're not only taking a beating, but you're getting degraded too. There's crotch in your face. Yeah. And you're laying there. Uh, and I was laying there, and whoever it was, Finkel or whatever, said, you know, we go to a commercial break, and he says, uh, still to come, so-and-so, so-and-so, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. The crowd starts chanting Austin. And uh, you know, if you're a competitive person, like and like I said, we all were. That I, that bothered me, and I thought I'm going to hold on to this, and I'm going to use it at some point. The uh, feeling, the feeling of you know of being passed over like that, uh, and I used it as my you know you know my rationale for for turning. But by the time I'd uh, been corporate, you know, been Cactus Jack, then heel Cactus corporate dude and now i go back to be mankind i could feel the lull Mm -hmm, you know like mm -hmm. you've lost momentum i've lost momentum and i was like i didn't know how to get out of it you know i i mean i'm lucky vince russo had faith in me to put me in a semi-main event i honestly didn't think i deserved to be in there uh and that match with taker that match with taker we didn't have we didn't really have an angle you know we had the history luckily we had the history together but i thought this isn't you know they call it a co-main event but uh Steve and Kane were clearly like the you know they were the top match, and uh, and now to to, to uh, compound my troubles, I'm watching Taker and Sean, and they just had a brilliant match, you know. And I'm like, yeah. I can't do that stuff, you know. Sean, you know, that's where Sean fell off the side of the yeah, cage, yeah, the table. yeah, yeah. But just the this, you know, he's just so nimble, and mm-hmm. you know, he's you know, honestly, you know, much better than <laughs> I. You know, I don't think there's any shame in saying he was much better. Well, you know, much he better was, than most yeah, of us. Yeah, he was incredible. I noticed you didn't include you and yourself in that stuff. I said most of us. <laughs> yeah, believe me, most of us. <laughs> and I was like, what am I going to do? And Terry goes, Cactus, I think you ought to start the match on top of the cell. And then he goes, you know what? You know, it's the damnedest thing. What if you were thrown off of that cell? And he's joking around, and he's laughing. And then I said, I think I can do that. I think I can do that. And, uh, and so that was why I pitched the idea of uh, – coming off the first time but the thing about it too is it's not like you are dropping an elbow or doing a splash yeah. you can see you actually turn yeah and that's what's that's what freaks me out the most like turning to where now you can't even see where yeah. you're bumping that like did you no rehearsal right no never been up there what, what, and the what, tv monitors were still there you know and this is before they were like kind of you know 
Unbelievable. So you still felt comfortable enough to do the front bump, though? No, I didn't feel comfortable. I, I, I didn't know how to... I did not know how I was. T- I was. I was terrified. Honestly, yeah. like you know, Shane McMahon uh, convinced has no fear because he willingly did that, knowing what. But what it's it a was. different vibe, though, Mick. He's, yeah. do, he's doing it his own time. If he wants to take it up, like, you're going when someone throws. And no you. one expected it either. Right? They'd never and seen no one that. Expected it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was just so shy. It was so shocking and so prolonged the reaction was so prolonged and then the match was over you know like yeah 30 seconds it's over how did you feel when you landed i i I felt i mean i was hurting for six weeks after that Mm -hmm. but initial feeling was relief Mm -hmm. that it was over i'm alive and that i was you know i remember you know before we had the barricades we do now we had the steel you know um, the old school steel fences and so my body ended up hitting and then rolling through so that half my body or a third of my my lower body was in the crowd you know and it was uh uh to just be out there and be soaking that in, you know, and uh, and uh, having those prolonged chants and not having anyone saying, hey, this is a 30-second, you know, anyone say, come on, he didn't mm-hmm. do a four-star match, he mm-hmm. didn't hit 18 false finishes, it was just boom, one move, and we're done. And that was the end, right? Well, it was supposed to, yeah, I mean, went up, no one thought they'd been cheated when the gurney was... Um, oh, yeah, because that was the finish, uh, it was the yeah. finish. Yeah, it was like I, a no- but then it rolled off the gurney, remember oh. the gurney? And when I went up, if I could have one thing to do differently, and I'm not talking about the bump, you know, uh, that was, yeah, I mean, I. Which bump? The one the off one, the top or one, one through, through the cage? It. Yeah. Um, I, I was, you know, I'd taken quite a blow there, and I was even slower getting up that thing. I just wish I could have exchanged with Taker. And if I, because the, the adrenaline, you know, when they realized he's, he's going back up. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it now. Like, it was a crazy feeling, you know. It was like coming off there and having Jr. You know, really just commanding the moment, you know. And King was at the top of his game, and it was like, you know, and it, here's the height of like, you know, uh, excitement. And then here comes the choke slam. The only time I got, I didn't have much hop in my, you know, my legs, yeah. but I always got up for choke slams. There was always if I was in choke slam with Taker, I was always high up there, you know. And this is the one time that uh, my feet never left the cage. And I'm lucky because had they left, if I'd gotten up and been up there like I was and 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 come down and that mesh gave way, then I would have landed a, a high on my shoulders mm-hmm. and neck. Maybe even on your on head. head. Yeah. And I don't think I ever would have, honestly, I don't think yeah. I ever would have wrestled again. Yeah. It was bad as it was. I mean, you're looking now at I got the you know the two teeth that teeth. Not, the two more have to go. It's hard for you to walk. Yeah, you, yeah. you can see how it was. Well, that I mean the walking you know that's compounded. It's hard to say well, which. I'm sure that yeah. didn't help. But this <laughs> is one where you go. Well, I those had teeth, teeth are actually from. Yeah, I had these teeth. Now they're gone. I still need to have two more out because of the blow they took. Are they it, dead? Yeah, they're sort of dead and they're gonna they're rotting and so it's like all right now I got to get two more and it's gonna take it's six months and fifteen grand nineteen years after the match mm. it's like still with me every every single day you live you with know? it for the rest of your yeah, life yeah. yeah yeah so it's a it's a I mean it's it's a, what was the reaction when you when you came back through the curtain like what did Vince say or I don't rem- oh I don't remember the crazy out? thing was I was I was out. I didn't remember large chunks of that match until then I started piecing it together. 
I, the t- I remember these are my McMahon interactions. Vince came up to me after the show and he said, and I do remember this, you know, he said, you have no idea how much I appreciate what you've just done for this company, but I never want to see anything like that again. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I think it's pretty telling. You know, Vince, I think gets a, you know, bad rap mm-hmm. for, you know, I, I honestly believe, you know, I'd, I'd be in far worse shape. If, a, if I'd been able allowed to do what I wanted to do, and B, if he hadn't that day, yeah, place. I'm gonna place a governor. Vince does right that here. all the time. Yeah, you know, cut stuff off. Yeah, you know. And the other McMahon interaction. I talked about this in my um, that promo I mentioned, the September promo with Stephanie. Uh, I felt like we needed to establish why. Why am I the GM? Because we, we it wasn't like you and Stephanie. We had a long history. Mm-hmm. I'd been the GM for six months and kind of given her a hard time, but no one knew. Like uh, uh, you know. I'd never been alluded to that I was friends with Stephanie. And uh, and she told me the first time. I'm, I didn't remember because I was so out of it. And she, I said, no, when was it? She said, it was Hell in a Cell. I had just had the match. And I got the word that Pat Patterson's partner, Louie, had uh, passed away from a heart attack. That day? That day. Wow. And Stephanie said, you walked. This first time she'd ever seen me. She said, you walked in. After that match, you're in a terrible, you can barely walk. You know, in her mind, the tooth was still in my nose. I don't know if it was or not. And she said, and you hugged Pat. And the only way I probably knew that who she was, she was there with her mom, Linda. She said, you know, and you just kind of looked over and you gave me a crooked smile. And that was the first time. That I think that's pretty heavy, you know, mm-hmm. to meet someone under those circumstances. Right. And you, you know that feeling. Uh, it's like the honeymoon period that next day after you've had a good match and, and, and congratulating and, you and, and especially that t- t- bond you have with the guy you've had the match with, even if you know that you may, you know, now you're, now you're going to be competitors for a spot on the card, mm-hmm. but you're going to allow yourself that time, assuming that you both, you know, enjoyed the match. And, you know, like it's funny because I, I key, I don't know Undertaker that well, like you know, like, and I like it that way. Like, I like the <laughs> idea. I will joke and say, I said in my Hall of Fame induction, like, he doesn't tweet, you know, you don't see, <laughs> yeah, LOL, the dead man, a little emoji con smile. <laughs> but that day, he stayed. I mean, he stayed with me for a long time, you know, and it was like he was like my big brother. And uh, if it had been someone else, I wouldn't have been able to get through that match, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, trying to pick up the pieces when one of the guys is not conscious. Oh, it's, yeah, it's a horrible you know? feeling. And, I, and he did say, you know, he did try to bring it home. And how I convinced him that uh, I still had something left, you know, I don't know. And, you know, he went old school. This is where I was able to uh, buy some time. I would joke, you know, when I would do my shows, and I'd say, we don't stop matches in WWE. We don't stop we don't stop matches. We buy time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And it, so he went old school and he had my my he had me by the wrist. And I probably worked a hundred matches with Taker. You'll hear some veterans say they worked a thousand times yeah, with a guy. Course, but yeah. I believe a hundred puts me up there with you know among the most matches you have with anybody. And I was always really animated. You know, he'd go old school, and the rest of my body would be thrashing around. You know, whoa, selling it. And on that night in Pittsburgh, the right right arm is up in the air, and the rest of my body is just like dead, uh, dead yeah. limp. Yeah. And then he, uh, I just lacked, you know, I knocked into the ropes, and he, you know, he he fell off, and and then the clouds started to, 
you know, dissipate, yeah. yeah, dissipate. Did you get a good payoff for that match? I did. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting it, you know, mm-hmm. because I was, you know, used to getting a certain amount, and it was well above that range, and, and I, rightfully I, so. But it wasn't like I did it with the expectation. No. Um, and I think it's really, I honestly, I don't know how payoffs are given now with the network. But it's not like people are working less hard. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, well, there's no pay-per-view anymore, so that yeah. tells you all you need to know about how payoffs are. It's so, different now. But you know? guys go out there, and they still, you know, the work ethic is yeah. just unbelievable. And, like, in your case, you know, I'm, I'm not saying anything to your face that I haven't said behind your back, which is <laughs> you had this amazing year. Like, mm-hmm. who would have thought, right? Unbelievable, You were yeah. doing the thing. You put me over for a while, so I'll put you over now. You do the, t- the time honored thing if you respect the business. You come in, you come in, you do a bunch of shots. You work with some of the other guys. You do the right thing, mm-hmm. and then you leave, and then you repeat. You know, mm-hmm. and it was getting to a point, you know, where even the onion, the uh, kayfabe news says Jericho makes surprise return for like nineteenth yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> but if someone would have said, "Yeah, he's now going to work for a year and a half," he's going to have a list. He's going to get a scarf over, a clicking pen. And the, the best friend <laughs> with no homoerotic overtones. Yeah, right, right, right. And then right. when I heard you guys doing that, and it was like, I remember being there on the, I don't know why I was there. I wasn't the GM yet. You guys were doing that long before, mm-hmm. you know, I became the GM. But I happened to have been at that TV, and it was almost like you were doing that great thing where you would be caught lying and everyone would know you would lie. And you would then try instead of backtracking, admitting it, you backtrack <laughs> Apple, and you would make the Apple, <laughs> Appleton. <laughs> and you said something about a friend, and then Kevin walked in. You know, Kevin. I think anyone who watches Kevin know he's a he's a tough dude, right? Yeah. And like he could have stepped on what you were doing. He was like, "I'll be your friend," or something like that. Yeah, got your yeah, back. yeah. The Jim and, and Marvin and, Luter thing. And it was that. like, "You will." And within <laughs> two weeks, you were proclaiming yourselves to be best friends. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and one of the regrets I have, you know, in my role as GM is, uh, you know, I, some ways I found my feet, in some ways I was still just trying not to make mistakes, which is not how you do your best stuff. Mm-hmm. I never found a way to give you guys props as to what you meant for the show on the show, mm-hmm. uh, and I, and I didn't know how to do that because you guys were always so dastardly, you know, you know, <laughs> interfering in matches, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like my hands are kind of tied, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and we did have some nice interactions, you know. I was I was actually set to go home after the Pittsburgh pay per view right. to do Santa stuff, and uh, Vince said, "Well, make you know, I just want you to know what you'd be missing." And I said, "What's that?" He goes, "We've got Chris Jericho, and he's going to be suspended above the ring in a shark tank, and you have to talk him into getting in there." All right, I'll drive home after. <laughs> and so I drove home in one shot from from Youngstown, Ohio, to sing "Must Be Santa" with Nora Jones, and I would practice like literally two hundred times, like a three minute song, two hundred times in a row. Must be Santa, like just so tired. You know when you're so tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I came back specifically to do, you know, stayed there specifically to do that, and I thought we. Uh, uh, it was a great one. It yeah. was it was good how you managed to talk yourself into. Yeah, yeah. But fully, these, these bars are made. These are <laughs> cheap. Aluminum. Bring, it's no, it's steel. Go ahead, check it out. It's safe. This floor is going to break. No, no, it's not. Go in there and check it out. This lock will never hold me. Yes, it will. 
<laughs> but see, you, you've always been like, and here's something too, it's on a personal note. We were, I was like, you know, Foley, you've never liked me, and, but that's not the case because right. you did help me get into ECW yeah. and indirectly WCW. But I vaguely remember, and I don't think we've ever really talked about it. You came to our show in Japan. In Japan yeah. You were you off came, that day. You came to one of ours, like where we had a pretty good house. You we know, had an off day. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to took the train somewhere to come see yeah, you with Masa. Masa, yeah. Right. And then you and I, and you actually read, you know, it's read and spoke some Japanese, and uh, and I had the Cactus Jack King of the Death match. You know, King of the Death. What I didn't realize. If it's written in Japanese in Japan, they don't want it. Yeah. And if you bring it to the U.S., you know, and it's, it's English, they don't want. You know, yeah, they, want they want it. Want so it's kind of like, around, yeah. yeah, it was uh, neither fish nor fowl, as they say. <laughs> um, but we had a pretty, you know, we were starting to draw a little bit. And it was sold out. That was was know. it Wing or, or was it? No, it was uh, IWA IWA. Japan. That's it, right? Yeah. And uh, and then when I had the off day, I, so when I said we were drawing, I mean, maybe we had uh, you know fifteen hundred. It was a good good crowd. Um, because we had been used to get, you know, Terry, Terry Funk and I, you know, were killing each other in front of 150 people. Mm. And that's why I look back on that time with so much pride. It was like... You we, built the territory. We built it. We yeah. felt like, all right, maybe there's only 150 people there, but within three days, you're going to be up to half a million people reading baseball magazines in full <laughs> color, you know? <laughs> The wrestling magazine that's called Baseball, Baseball Magazine. Yeah, I could never. Classic never, Japanese, yeah. I could yeah. never figure that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I could never figure out why you either had, when it came to using the facilities, it was either a hole in the ground, porcelain hole in the ground, or the most lavish toilet you've ever had in your <laughs> With life. With heated seats and a bidet and <laughs> like it's electronic. No yeah. <laughs> and by the way, there's nothing worse than having to use the porcelain hole in the ground. Oh, Especially for us with our f- screwed up knees yeah, and everything. Yeah. Yeah, so you came to our show with Masa, who's who's yeah. a super fan, great guy, uh, friend to all the foreign wrestlers, and kind of takes you out and takes yeah, care. Yeah. He's not a sponsor; no, he's no. just a friend. Yeah, yeah. And then you had that great match with uh, Ultimo Dragon, right? Yeah, yeah. you guys uh, were it was Budokan. It was uh, Sumo Arena, Sumo, our third Sumo, anniversary yeah. show. Yeah, and you, you really tore it down. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I went over. You know, when I went back to ECW, have you seen Chris Jericho? I think you'd bet on his, you know, list. I've been anyway. calling him yeah. once a week for like a year. <laughs> and so we, uh, yeah, so you got in there and you had one, I had my second to last uh, ECW match with you. And this was a, it was such a weird dynamic because I was the anti hardcore heel. And it, and I, when I turned heel there, it was like, well, what do you do? Like, you can't be vicious because they like that. You mm-hmm. can't insult the fans. How do you be a heel in ECW? I started systematically taking away everything they liked about me. You know, right. I shaved and you know started pushing rest holds. Yeah, rest holds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty. I remember Steve got hot when I got a, like a one star uh, <laughs> review in one of the sheets, <laughs> and he was like, it wasn't. He goes, it was a four-star, one-star match or something like that. It was was bad by design and accomplished a lot more than a a great match would have. But um, that night in the the venue in Queens, the the hall wanted 50% of the merchandise money. Really? 50%. This isn't 50% after what you paid. So it's like... You know, at that time, you know, you're selling them for fifteen dollars. They cost you seven. And right. They, you're That's your profit. Nothing. So I sent my my uh, t-shirt guy out to sell them on the line, and he came back like three minutes later. He's got like three loogies on him. 
he had like people were really angry, you know. <laughs> and you and I went out. We had a good match. We did right? have a good yeah. match. I remember. I, that, we'll, yeah. we'll look back at a couple of those minutes, you know. And a couple of those minutes were like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and that began that long pattern of me never defeating you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But what a way for me to come into yeah. ECW and, and beat, you know, Cactus Jack. I think you were Cactus Jack yeah, at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. to yep. beat Cactus Jack, like my second match in. Like what a debut for me. You know, it was a great thing for you to do that. Glad to do it, kid. <laughs> and then you never I beat you every other time every except other time for the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Which you called me about six months before and said, I kinda have this idea. <laughs> and then we never really discussed it again. I just remember you're up there. I, I remember I said to my wife, like, I'm going I'm going up there. I'm sh- I think he wants me to go up there. I'm just gonna do it. <laughs> I, I, little, I legitimately got this idea. I may have only told – I think I told you the year before. If I didn't – I think it, it was. It was I like the it, biggest podcast ever. It was the uh, biggest uh, speech uh, yeah, ever. Uh, because I got this feeling – and I was kind of on the outs with the company, but yet I was doing the pre-show. This was the year uh, – 2013. I don't know why I was on the – I don't know. I, they, I don't. I think I just get on the outs so I can come back and be accepted. It's all of it. It's Take your 15th <laughs> surprise return. It's all, it's all about getting that hug from Vince at the end oh, of the yeah. day. It is oh, it's like yeah. your dad, right? Yeah. So if you're on a steady ground, there's never that – uh, Always that, friends with yeah, them. It's yeah, never good, right? You need to have that, that return. Yeah. And I was walking – like I was walking from uh, that Miami arena and I just started l- l- legitimately thinking, wait a second, you know – you're probably going to be inducted, you know, like it's a matter of when, you know, and I thought next year they're at, you know, they're at, uh, um, all state, whatever the the big stadium was. I was like, it makes sense that the, the hall of fame would be at the garden. And if it's going to be at the garden, like, you know, I've got the history of the garden. And and then I just got this idea, like, I want to drop an elbow on Chris Jericho. I, and I, at that time, I was going to come off the stage. You know, would you be willing to stay down there? And the funny thing is, uh, when I was doing the one man show, and I would actually like to reprise this for the network because it's kind of timeless. It's specific. It's specific to Hall of Fame WrestleMania, so it's not. You know, it's it would be new every year because it's specific about that. And I would talk about the Foley risk reward ratio analysis that I would instantaneously figure out whether a move was worth doing or not. And I would give, for example, you know, we were under direct orders not to do anything. No, do not take a pedigree on the thumbtacks, you know, because we were to use them to take a backdrop in with me and Hunter at uh, the, the um, uh, New York Street fight yeah, yeah, in yeah. Royal Rumble 2000. And then Hunter gave me that uh, pedigree, and I kicked out. Like, no one kicked out of the pedigree at that time. And all of a sudden, it was like, you know, all this data. We're like, okay, 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 you know, what if I take the pedigree and those thumbtacks? It was like, okay, okay, you could possibly lose an eye. And then the thing I kept coming back to is, but think of the pop. You know, like, think of the pop. And it was like, it was too good. So we called the audible. We took the heat, whatever heat was. But we had such a, you know, we had a very good, one of the mm-hmm. best. Classic, yeah, yeah, it was a great really good, it was thanks. I didn't want to say great, but it, it, was, it was great. great. It, put, it put him on the map as a top star. It was it was good for both of us. Yeah. Because I would have been so banged up and I'd been relying more and more on humor. And it gave me a chance to kind of go out mm-hmm, as Cactus mm-hmm. Jack. That and the match that followed the next month, uh, the cell match that took place 17 years ago. Right. And then I, I talked about the risk-reward ratio analysis, and I go back to that night in, uh, in, the, in the garden, and you rolled up on that stage, 
and and I and I kind of panicked, and then Punk rolled up on the stage. Oh, yeah. You know, he was and, the ref. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, you were on the, you were on the stage first, and I did the risk reward ratio analysis. Like all I have to do is drop an elbow, not like off the second rope, and I, <laughs> and I like, I did the analysis, and the data I came up with is, this is gonna hurt for two weeks. <laughs> and then once Punk came up, I was like, I can't not do it. And do you remember what I said to you? What I go. You're going to have to take all the impact on this. Oh, I know. I was just going to say the risk-reward ratio on my end was I'm on a stage with, at the time, you're probably 300 pounds, dropping yeah. elbow. More than that, yeah. There's nowhere for me to, to no, bump. There's no, no give. Yeah. It's a stage. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, that hurt on me, too. And, and you looked like Morocco looked when he was taking Snooker's <laughs> splash. You're like, you had the – you had the, you know. Yeah, I was all clenched in. My arms were all flexed. My biceps there, and I came down. That was the only way I could do it without hurting myself for weeks. And then when I – it got that – it got a phenomenal response. Yeah. Yeah. My one regret is when I got on that microphone and said, yo, Adrian, I did it. Mm. I was like, you know what? That's all she wrote. You can't get any higher than that. Mm -hmm. You should have taken it home. Yeah, yeah, Instead, yeah, yeah. I talked for another 20 minutes. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it was, it was one of those moments people will never forget. Yeah. And, and guys were like, when did you work that out? I was like, I didn't work it out. It's it like, came I up. Because I remember up. you had talked to me about it like a year yeah, prior. Yeah. There's a great <laughs> photo of that that it's, people have where the three yeah. of us have signed it. And a little known fact about that photo, that photo is largely, i say partially, partially slash largely responsible for the funding of the Santa documentary oh. because the Kickstarter was really lagging and then the big incentive was the photo signed by me, you, and Punk. That's where it is. Yeah. That's right. And that was like the $200 item and that's when we met our goal. That you know? Because if you don't meet the goal in Kickstarter, you get nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, right, right. And it, it, the movie probably would have come out but it wouldn't have had the money for the, you know, the you know, graphic. Well, just as, as we wind down here, just a few more things. Let's talk about your new book coming out that's about Santa, yeah. Tell, tell, well, you, you love Santa Claus. I do. Love, yeah. I do love Santa. Um, and I, I started writing this book, and uh, and I know going in, there's, there's what's the audience? You know, mm -hmm. it's not a book for wrestling fans. You know, there is some. Yeah, you know, there's there is quite a bit of wrestling in there. Like I, but it's not a book for eighteen, nineteen year old. It's probably a book for people if they if. It's a book for people who love Christmas, mm -hmm. and it's not likely that people who love Christmas are going to buy it because it's also a wrestling. You know, it's mm -hmm. kind of like it's again talking about neither fish nor fowl. Right. Which I never use it. I never say those words, but it's <laughs> twice like, in one show. It's, it's, <laughs> I, that's the hard thing. It's it's it doesn't have a uh, an audience. And the other thing, when I'm writing, I was like, this is really really personal, like mm -hmm. very personal stuff. And I, I thought I don't feel comfortable putting it out there. Um, and I had kind of made a decision. I remember telling St Stephanie would ask me about it. You know, Stephanie's a good writer. I don't know if mm -hmm. you've ever, you know, Stephanie's a very good writer. And one day she came to catering and she sat down and she started, I'd written a synopsis because WWE was going to publish the book at one point. And I'd written a synopsis and she wanted to know more about it, you know, and specifically she wanted to know the role that Nora Jones had played in my evolution as Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> had to throw in a little name, a little <laughs> a name, name drop, there, a little yeah. name drop. And uh, so I started talking to Stephanie, and I realized like a bunch of time had gone by, like 45 minutes. And I was like, oh, are we, you want to do our promo? And she was saying, oh, I, I came to talk to you about the book. And I went, really? And I said, do you think it's interesting? And she was like, I think it's fascinating. And it really made me feel like, you know what? 
it's you, you put you, you put the best thing you can out there, and then you hope it finds an audience, mm-hmm. which it might over, you know, over the the, the course of time. And you know, I'm, I'm you know I'm donating the profits from the hardcover to four different Christmas charities, so it's not like I think it's going to be. So it's 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 based around your love of it's, Christmas. It's five. You know what? It's what's cool about it is I thought if I wait another year or two, now I'm doing. You know how like. And there have been very good books that look back on a, you know, a, a huge wrestling star's career. But looking back over 30 years, you got to kind of pick and choose. Yeah. And and one thing I liked, uh, I mean, uh, hopefully you, you take this as the compliment it is because it's also complimenting <laughs> my book. I thought you and I did a good job of bringing people into the moment mm-hmm. because we weren't covering such huge chunks of time. You're now on your sixth Oh, this is fourth. Oh, four. Okay. (laughs) But you're able to go a little deeper into matches, whereas, you know, uh, other guys are talking about monumental matches and they can only give it a paragraph. Because they have to do their whole career in 300 pages. It don't work that way. And I knew I had a, I knew I had a good story with a five year arc where definite lessons were learned Mm -hmm. and I was a much better person at the end of the five years than I was when I started it. And it, had been, and it had been something that had really helped me out in a major way when I couldn't rest. You know, the difference between retiring and, you know, I'm coming back and one match. When you're in a neurologist's office and he says, you should never wrestle again, there's a sense of finality. It's, it's re- relieving, but it's also... You're done. Uh, yeah, you're done. Yeah. And it's like this thing that I love doing is not an option. There are no comebacks, you know, ever. Mm-hmm. And then uh, right on the shoulders of that, like no roller coasters, boom, the sensitivity to lights, no volunteering, you know, for the rain stuff done. And it was like mm-hmm. within uh, two weeks, like everything that I loved doing was, was kind of gone. And I was really, I was hurting, you know, I was hurting, uh, you know, emotionally. Like, you know, I was still in that, period where you know everything kind of felt muted and underwater i was having a tough time and this santa thing came out and just filled a void like you know it was like when that first oh, kid came wow. in and uh hello carson how are you and uh this is when you're playing yeah, santa I mean, yeah i wasn't playing him i wasn't you, you playing, were santa I, mean, I transformed him <laughs> and there's a moment in the documentary i'm assuming a lot of people didn't see the documentary it's a great documentary what's it called uh, santa i am santa claus i am santa claus and it's legit you couldn't script this yeah. where i have this little kid on my lap and I said, what would you like for christmas he goes a ball I said, I think Santa can make you a very special ball. I had my son Huey with me. I said, I'll put my number one elf on it. Santa's got that kind of pull of the North Pole. I said, is there anything else you'd like? And he goes, another ball. And I go, okay, two. And it just hits my head. It's like being in the ring and ad-libbing. And I realize I can't. I said, two round athletic spheres. <laughs> And you know, I came out of that. I came out of that experience. I was like, wow. You know, it was like a major door had been right. open for me. And uh, checking out of the hotel the next day, uh, my wife was late. You know, running late. And I, you know, it's, it's kind of a blessing because now I st- I'm looking through my you know photos. We've taken a few photos. It's a great photo of my daughter, me and my daughter. She's sitting next to me. It's a cool photo for me as a dad because here my daughter is 19 at the time. She wasn't embarrassed at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was like, wow, I, I look pretty good. And I was like, I got one shot. I'm not going to bother five people, six people. I'm going to send this to one person. And so I, I sent a text to Stephanie. And I said, if I show you a photo, will you look at it? And she said, sure. And I, I sent it over. I said, ho, 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 from 
old Saint Nick, and she writes back, is that you? I said, yeah. I said, you want to see if they'd like me to do tribute to the troops? And uh, and then the one, uh, instead of being one and done, now, you know, uh, now I'm on TV. <laughs> and then that, that's its own set of problems where the expectations are, <laughs> I had the best time in front of 30 kids. And right. now, now, I, now I'm in front of millions. Mm -hmm. And you get that. And so that's one of the lessons I learned by the fifth year. But um, what's the book called? It's called, uh, it's going to be called St. Mick. St. Mick. St. Mick. And uh, the reason I decided to publish it is I just happened to be looking at the uh, verified tweets, you know, so you're not getting hammered by too many people complaining about your job as GM. <laughs> and there was a writer who responded to a question about his favorite interview, and he said, no question, at Real Mick Foley. And so I, I go on his profile, and I saw that he just started a, a small publishing house. So I give it the worst sales pitch of all time. <laughs> and I go, listen, I said, would you be interested in a book that's gotten really no – no audience. <laughs> I don't want a large print number. I don't want to be. Out. I don't want to promote it much because I don't want to be sick of it. That's uh -huh. one of the things. I don't know if you found that. If yeah, you really yeah. push something, by the time you're done, you essentially don't ever want to see, see it, it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't want to get to that moment. And uh, and so yeah, we're doing it, and uh, I'm really happy with it. You know, I went in and did some editing on my own. Mm -hmm. They're giving it another edit, and uh, I think you know the books. It, it doesn't matter if it sells. It, it, you know. 100 copies or it's not going to sell 100,000 mm -hmm. but it's the fact that it's there on a shelf yeah, and it's kind it of timeless and 100 years from now someone could pick it up and be touched by it or you read know. it on Kindle <laughs> how many yeah. books is this for you now? This would be uh, this would be uh, six five five ah, all right and I got to go back in and uh, write another novel jeez <laughs> oh, uh, kids book yeah yeah so this is uh, number eleven for me jeez man but six you and I are formidable we've got uh, five, nine memoirs between us no <laughs> I mean, one else has more than people one, must right? be sick of our yeah, yeah. last thing there's a, there's a, a famous match and I'm I, if I'm wrong about this I'm not there's the, the match that you guys were in San Jose you and Owen Hart. Knowing that Dave Meltzer was going to be there and going up there to have the worst match, can you tell us about that? It's very liberating, you know. Because uh, <laughs> we'd been having stinkers, and the goal was to try to get. Steve was coming back from the neck injury, but he was such a draw, you know, that you know once he was recovering, you know, be brought on the road to be my second. And Owen and I were just trying to get him to break character and laugh. And we almost had him. You know, Steve would laugh backstage. He was pretty <laughs> in the ring. Protective. He was stone cold. Yeah, yeah. He was definitely stone cold. And in Anaheim, the night before we did San Jose, uh, we almost had him when I opened up a box of soft drink lids on Owen. You know, and I and I pour them out. They're fluttering to the ground, <laughs> <laughs> fluttering. And Owen's knees are buckling. You know, <laughs> he's doing the he's doing the walk around the ring, and they're fluttering like harmless butterflies. <laughs> And 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 Steve, he popped backstage. Mm -hmm. He didn't pop, you know, didn't pop in the <laughs> ring. And then we got, we were like, hey, let's, let's, I think we're on the verge. I think we can get him. And then I don't know, it was me or Owen. I was like, wait a second, San Jose, Dave Meltzer's going to be in the audience. We can't have a stinker in San Jose. And it was like, yeah, we can. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we, we can. And like we went out of our way, you know, to find like even worse props. And in that case. You know, going through concessions, I see the giant Santa's sack size of popcorn. And what finally got Steve is then, you know, when uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm hammering Owen over the back with the giant sack of popcorn again, his knees are buckling. And uh, But then he, I don't know, he rakes the eyes or something. There's all this popcorn debris in the ring. 
And when I start going down and selling, it looks like I'm just wildly thrashing about. But I'm actually like doing the angel, <laughs> the, popcorn. the popcorn angel. And I get up, and, and there's this big angel print with the you know the bowling pin physique, you know, like yeah, right. definitely getting wider at the at the at the base. And I look over at Steve, and I'll, I'll curse. What is bring it home with a curse word? He's got his arm in his in his uh, he's got his head in his arm, but he's beat red. And he would wear that vest, you know, the black vest, and you could see those huge lats shaking, you know. And he goes, <laughs> I look at his face, and he just he got tears streaming down his face. He goes, "You guys are the shits." <laughs> <laughs> and it was such a triumph, you know. Like we did it, we got him to pop. We, it was in front of Dave Meltzer. We know we're gonna get the half a star done. It was like we, oh, we had to do it. Much better than talking about the time we tore down the house in San Jose, four star match. <laughs> And I got to tell you, I'll just leave you with this. Um, I'd like uh, some solidarity among the old school guys who know the legend of the Rock and Roll Express. So that if Ricky Morton does not at some point say, brother, we sold this son of a bitch out, I say me, you, and Steve, we, we hit the stage. Hit like, the stage. <laughs> Nick, this has definitely been the greatest podcast ever. ever. The biggest podcast ever. Awesome talking to you, man. I, you know, I was afraid that with all the buildup, are we still on? Yeah, we're still on. I was afraid it was going to be the podcasting equivalent of like predicting hot sex and then just cuddling. <laughs> but I think we came through with the hot we sex. We did good. Yeah, big we time. got some good, hot, verbal uh, audio sex. <laughs> there you go. Foley and Jericho, audio sex. <laughs> That's the title. <laughs> Thanks again to Mick for being part of the biggest podcast ever. What a great storyteller, great guy, longtime friend. And uh, be on the lookout for his Christmas book, St. Mick, coming out in a few months. And while I'm rolling out the thank yous, big one, of course, to all of you for supporting Talk is Jericho and the tremendous sponsors who make it possible, DDP Yoga. Go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho to get 30% off the DDP Yoga Now app and all DDP Yoga-related merch. BetDSI. Register at BetDSI.com. Use my promo code Jericho25 to get $25 for free and a 200% bonus on your first deposit. Then there's NatureBox. Feed that hunger, man. Go to NatureBox.com slash Jericho. Get 50% off your first order. And then, of course, don't forget about the Jericho Network. Big congrats to Raven. The Raven Effect is the newest smash hit on the Jericho Network. Raven's talking about anything and everything that gets into his head. If you haven't heard this one yet, check it out. It is hilarious. It's the crazy world of Raven for sure uh, he and Cyrus had a great battle of the IQs on killing the town that episode just came out on Tuesday you'll have to give it a listen to find out just who won that battle but the Jericho Network is keeping you entertained all week long Raven Effect every Monday killing the town with Storm and Cyrus on Tuesday beyond the darkness scaring the crap out of you five days a week and of course keeping it at 100 with Conan dropping on Thursdays and go hit subscribe on iTunes leave everyone a rating and a review do it for Talk is Jericho as well I want to get up to 2,000 comments i need 2000 comments on itunes on the talk is jericho uh uh uh, show there that's the goal people i know you can help me get there it'll be a huge help to this show with advertising and getting more guests so go over to itunes and leave a rating uh for talk is jericho do it for your mama hit the comment section on itunes let me know what you're digging and who you want to hear on this show blah 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 and i didn't forget about Team Tiger Awesome, the hilarious TTA. Sunday mornings, they're bringing you fake ads, weird pop culture mashups, and of course, one of my favorite things, the Team Tiger Awesome fake news. This is the news with Team Tiger Awesome. In local news, a woman just can't after her co-worker put his bare feet on his desk at work today. 
Witnesses say Diane from accounting, whose desk gives her the most direct line of sight to her colleagues' naked toes, asked literally everyone in the office, quote, I mean, that's just gross, right? More on the story as it develops. Snapchat introduced new filters for International Women's Day, allowing snappers to apply a filter to look like iconic women Marie Curie, Frida Kahlo, or even Rosa Parks. These filters gave Marie Curie glam lashes and exploding chemicals and gave a unibrow and lightened eyes to Frida, and Rosa filter users received the equivalent of digital blackface, which is an absolute slap in the face to all the older people who remember just how long it used to take to apply shoe polish to your face to be offensive. This has been the news with Team Tiger Awesome. For more, listen to the Team Tiger Awesome show every Sunday right here on the Jericho Network. <laughs> well, there you go. This week also, I think TTA talked about uh, uh, fictional movie characters that should be in jail. Maybe Kevin McAllister. I'm not sure. Uh, but anyways, you want to check that out. Spread the word about the Jericho Network. Entertain you all week long. Thanks for listening. Keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next on Wednesday. Come on down. My favorite guest host in WWE Raw history, Bob Barker, will be here on Talk is Jericho. He is the OG Price is Right host, animal activist, and once again, my favorite, uh, my favorite guest host on WWE uh, Monday Night Raw a few years ago. Barker, I will take you on anytime, anyplace, anywhere. He's a show business legend, a show business icon. He's almost in his 90s, and he's here on Talk is Jericho on Wednesday. We will see you then. Stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. And in the meantime and in between time, yeah, boy. Have a good weekend, guys. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.